I don't want a pickle. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Hey, hello, everybody. Welcome. This is the No Good Moto Podcast, episode number 203. I am your host, MotoGP, and with me is your other host, Swiggy. Yo. Coming to you from Northern Colorado, where we got another one of our 300 Days of Sunshine that we get every year here. Let's see here. This episode is, I think we're going to do a how to sound like you know what you're talking about. Uh, this time on, this is, this is really useful information. Difficult to pronounce motorcycle brands. What are you doing, Swigs? I was trying to turn a channel off, but I didn't like it. One sec. Yeah, that's a noisy pot. You could, like, not mess with the board while we're doing the intro. I'm just uh, trying to get rid of the buzz. Okay, just go. All go right. Fine. So anyway, <laughs> here we are. Uh, yeah, we're going to do difficult to pronounce motorcycle brands. So there's a few of these things, and these will be gear brands as well, but there's a lot of these things that y'all are saying it wrong. And then... We are going, well, and we are also, of course, going to do Best Worst Bike in the World this week, and we're going to talk a little bit, not extensively, about why you should care about MotoGP, because it's just about to start. All right, Swigs, are you ready to start with Best Worst Bike in the World this week? I am. All right, so I'm going to remind everybody, first, send your emails to contact at nokamotopodcast.com with anything, any thoughts you have disagreeing with our assessment of these motorcycles. Remember, it's just a fun way to talk about two motorcycles in a way that you might not normally talk about them. And also, I will remind you that you need to be leaving five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you are. You know what? I, th- I think you should just write up a huge cardboard sign at, with five stars on it and stand on a freeway overpass. I'll accept as long as you send a picture to me, <laughs> emails a picture of it. I will accept that also. Okay, Swigs, you have, well, I should explain for new listeners what the, what the segment is. Come on, Pete. This is where we each take a motorcycle. We don't know what each other have chosen. It's always a surprise. We don't know. What it's going to be, and one will be the best bike in the world this week, and one will be the worst bike in the world this week. That part we have decided. Swigs always goes first, and this week, Swigs, you have best bike in the world. I do. And are you ready to reveal it? I am. Okay. And the best bike in the world this week is? The 98 to 2003 Kajiva Planet. Oh. So this is a bastard monster? Kind of, yeah. So this is straight up a Mito without Oh, the, the Mito. That's right. This is basically just I the love the Mito. So well, wait, no, because the Mito was a hold on. The Mito was like a nine was like nine nine six bodywork. It was, and so this is so. This is the same forks, brakes, frame, tank as the Mito. Same motor, same frame. It's just naked, and the Mito was like a four hundred. No. 
It's a one, two, five, two stroke. Oh, that's right. Of course. Sorry, 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 sorry. Okay. So this is. Yeah, this is cool. So this is all the performance of the Mido. And it's, it's all, it's tuned the same way. But this is a bike that you could still conceivably own in 2023. Because if you get a Mito, there's nothing you can do about a fucked up fairing. And how are you going to keep that painted and maintained? If you lose your Mito fairings or if you, if you fuck them up, you're done. Like, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, because while they look like 996 bodywork, they're not actually. Yeah, and you probably don't want to be, even if they were the same, you wouldn't want to be sourcing 996 bodywork for your 125 two-stroke. But this, this is something, you know, if you've got to repaint the tank or something, or if you need to re you know, recoat the exhaust. Like, these are all things you can conceivably do. Even if you need to, you know, re-chrome that exhaust tip. Like, that's something you can do. It's a pain in the ass, but... And it's it's a 125cc two-stroke. Like, and it's... It's not quite a parts-bin motor, but it's... You know, it's it's got enough common parts in that, you know, kind of... Kajiva, Piaggio... um Ducati era of of bikes, right? So you'll you'll be able to source parts for that. So this is a bike that you can keep going. So yeah, for for the listeners and for people who haven't clicked on the bike image link in the show notes, we're looking at it looks like a monster at first. Like if you just like took a quick pass at the screen, you you go, oh, it's a picture of a monster. But it is it is smaller than a monster. Um, this is a naked bike perimeter frame. So it's not a trellis frame, like a monster. It's got a monster ish tank, but I I can't believe that this is a unique tank to this bike, but it's definitely a tank design. That's not super common. Uh, it's got a single seat with grab rails, even though it's a single seat. I don't know what the passenger pegs are doing on this bike. I, I presume that's just a cover. For a rear pillion seat. That could be a rear cover, but it's... I mean, it would be insane if it wasn't, because it would. this would make no sense whatsoever otherwise. Yeah. Um, it looks like we're rocking like a like a 16-inch wheel up front and like a 17 in the back. It's not huge on the wheels, but it's a one two five two stroke We don't need massive stuff. Massive brakes. Well, no, they're probably not massive brakes. That just might be a 15-inch wheel, actually, is probably what's going on. We've got um, what uh, looks that's, like... That's a full 320-millimeter disc. Okay. Uh, we've got... Well, yeah, I know, but look how big it is filling up that wheel. That's a small front wheel. They are, they are small wheels. Uh, they're... Um, oh, both 17s. Really? Yeah. I don't know. That disc just looks massive to me. Anyway... Uh, it's got, uh, this is sort of a proper race bike though. This is like a one, two, five sort of track oriented motor, but it's mm-hmm. just in this street legal package for whatever reason. Um, yeah, a lot of this is like stand. I bet these are going to be the gauges and the light that were on the early monsters, that kind of stuff. 
It's got a you know it's got a cool race swing arm. Is it single sided? I don't think it's single sided. Um, uh, this one's not no because the the single sided one is the um, I've forgotten the name of it. No, the Kajiva does make not just a single sided swing arm, a single sided fork as well. I can't remember what the bike's called. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. for 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 hardcore endurance racing. And what were the years on this as well? This is 98 to 03. 98 to 03. Yeah. So this is also in that sort of like introduction of the SV650 kind of era. Uh, it's around there. Yeah. Well, SV650 was already out, but it's, this also, it probably looks a little more SV650, early SV650 than it does Monster, actually. But it's, it's in that, it's in that vein, but it's a 125 two stroke. And it's super cool because it's just a full on road bike, even though it's really a race bike. Uh, yeah. And you can I see under, this. under the body work, you can see like under the tank, like this is truly like yeah, an old school. The air box is so small because it's a one, two, five. The fuel tank is, it is actually a, it's a four gallon fuel tank because that tank is all fuel tank. You can actually see yeah. the air box poking out below because. It's a one, two, five. You don't actually need that much space for it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you do need gas to go race distance. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, little teeny radiator at front is a liquid-cooled one, two, five, but it's not obtrusive. It's... Yeah. So this bike, you know, like the Mito, and I'll just revisit it because we haven't talked about it for quite a while. Um, yeah. This is a liquid-cooled... Um, a liquid cooled one two five two stroke. Let me guess the horsepower. Hold on, hold on. This is going to be somewhere between twenty eight and thirty six horsepower. I'm going to go thirty one. Well, as we know, horsepower isn't real. Well, I know, but, but what they're claiming, uh, it's the it's the same as the Mito. I I don't remember what the Mito was. So the estimates range from like twenty three to thirty one horsepower. Um, okay, yeah. thirty-one. I said thirty. Yeah. Okay, we're we're in. There. And I think the the torque's only like oh, it's gonna be nothing. It's like sixteen foot pounds, right? It's, yeah, it's yeah. nothing. But th- these are all about winding them up, yeah. yeah. And that's why it's a one two five cc two stroke with a six speed gearbox on it. I'd be happy be... for it to be eight. Yeah, yeah, uh, great, fantastic. Uh, I love it. I love it. I, I I like the styling. It's just it's Euro enough without being all BMW and KTM weird, right? Mm-hmm. It's a great example of styling from this time, early early two thousands, late nineties. It is it's a naked bike that I don't hate. You know, it's small enough to be a naked bike or a you know standard bike, I guess. You know what I mean? The, uh, when you when when we get into the things like like the MT10 and everything, I I feel like I'm looking at a transformer. The bike's too big. There's too much engine. There's too much wiring. There's too much nonsense everywhere on big bikes for them to be unfaired for me. Mm-hmm. When they're really small and simple like this, then it's a lot easier for me to accept this unfaired street look. Because right. it's visually still very simple, and it, and it has a sleekness to it in its simplicity. Does that does that does that make sense? 
Yeah, I, there's definitely because I mean, essentially, it it is it's a naked bike, insofar as like naked bikes becoming like the new UJM, and right. it fits into that rather than trying to be like. Yeah, it, it fits in there as like a default rather than a than trying to do I don't know. Yeah. I don't like the large naked bikes either. But Yeah, uh, well while we're on the subject of naked bikes, I was trying to figure out why just the term naked bike bothers me cuz it does. Because it's not like motorcycles started out as all fared and then became unfared. People just refer to motorcycles that don't have bodywork as naked bikes right now, when most of them are really just standard bikes. Now, yeah. this is, quotes, naked in the sense that it's an unfared version of a bike that was originally fared, right? Mm-hmm. So if you take something like a, like a, a frame that was sort of meant to, you know, have like be a sport frame, like an SV650 or something, but you just sell it without the bodywork for cheaper. Well, then it is naked because something has been taken off, right? I don't think even the SV650 counts because there isn't a fared version of it. Well, I mean, oh no, the- there's there's a fared kit for it, but uh, the S the SV650S doesn't count. That's well, but also, you know, it, the SV650 was sort of like the baby counterpart to like the TL1000 and all this other stuff, which there were okay, fared yeah, versions of. It was kind of in a line of performance V-twin bikes. The Z650 is probably a better example of just like a straight up. Yeah. There's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it, it can't be a naked bike unless there's a clothed counterpo- counterpart, right? Yeah, it's it, uh, it it's semantic, but it's important to me because it's not like I, would you would you say that a CB750 is naked? No, no, it's just a standard <laughs> no. bike. It's a standard yeah. bike, right? And it's not part of a standard bike to have fairings. Part of a sports bike is having fairings. It's not a defining part. You can definitely have a sport bike that isn't fared, but uh, yeah. Anyway. I personally most of the time prefer fairings. In this case, because it's such a simple looking bike, I kind of go for it. Also, the other thing that um annoys me about the naked bike thing is a lot of people seem to prefer these naked or standard bikes, unfaired bikes, because they think it's somehow more classic, because motorcycle people are obsessed with classic. I don't know. Uh, race fairings go back to like the forties. Uh, you know, in the 1920s, people were building motorcycles that were beating a hundred miles an hour. Aerodynamics have been important for a long time. I, I don't know that having a bike sans fairing makes it more classic. Because the idea of putting a wind cover on something is a very old idea. That's true, but nobody wants nobody wants to make shitty arrow to match a classic era anymore. I don't think you're going to find anything on on the roads t- today with a dustbin fairing. No, dustbin fairings were amazingly effective. The problem was they were too effective. They also caught a lot of wind sideways and. Kind of came off the road a lot. 
Do you remember riding my 600 Ninja on the highway in wind through Kansas? That thing was a fucking sail as well. It's true. That, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I was just riding at like a 30 degree tilt for about a hundred Exactly. Miles. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the, the W650 was way nicer across Kansas in that high wind. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I, I, long story short, um, people usually do and don't like fared or unfared bikes for the wrong reasons. <laughs> and, and here, th- this is, this is what an unfared bike really should be right here. This is the use case. So I'm giving it a big thumbs up for me. Gotta love a one, two, five, two stroke for the street. That's not an enduro. Because mm-hmm. I mean, how many one, two, five street bikes are there that aren't like, you know, the Kajiva Super City or the a KTM whatever, or, you, you know what I mean? They're, they're all sort of enduro dual sports sort of things. One, two, five, two strokes. So one that's a dedicated road bike is it's a rare beast and this has got to be so much fun to ride. Yeah. And it's two stroke in the way that it's it's not trying to get lots of it's not trying to be uh, some kind of dual sport. It's it's just that classic Italian of, you know, like casually smoking around your baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, but it looks like it'd be a great ride too. Like it looks like it's got like what this is probably thirty eight millimeter inverted forks. It like it's not been cheaped out. It's got the full on uh, Brembo, like you said, full on three hundred twenty mil uh, disc brakes. Uh, I think it's just single sided. But I mean, this thing must weigh nothing. Yeah, it's single rotor. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I don't know what size the rear brake is, but I, I'm it looks more than adequate. It's like a two eighty think let me well i've got the spec sheet it's a um uh oh no sorry way off uh 230 230 yeah that sounds right i mean the i love the look of the exhaust honestly uh i don't know why you'd want to replace that exhaust ever it's elegant it hangs off well it's like the double expansion it's got it's got everything that you want it's fantastic um yeah uh, no complaints here. All right. We ready to move on to worst bike in the world? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Oh, wrong noise. Wrong noise. And the worst bike in the world this week is... Maserati motorcycles. All of them, but I'll pick a couple models here to pick on. Okay. So... This is a disgusting failure in a lot of different ways. So when we talk about old vintage European race bikes, and when we, you know, when you get into like old Moto Guzzi's and like weird Italian manufacturers that don't exist anymore and, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff, you know, the, the, these are the, th- these are normally the kinds of things that quietly just, crush at auctions and you're like why it's like 75 cc's and it is there's like nothing to it right um these are sort of i think put in that club you'll see these in motorcycle museums and stuff but i don't know why 
because they're not very good. But more importantly, they are for an era where everyone is obsessed with cla- things being classic and authentic and whatever. These are uninspired motorcycles. In fact, it's not going to be the original, but this is my personal oldest known case of legacy fraud. Oh, okay. In a very interesting way, because Maserati motorcycles aren't really Maserati motorcycles. Maserati, so Maserati was, I hope you're all sitting down, already in financial trouble by the mid-50s. Shocker. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, Maserati is an old company, and and obviously World War II fucked with things really big. But um, by the the mid-50s, it had basically like old man Maserati like died or whatever. And there's just like this weird game of musical chairs with management positions with all of his children. And then this woman, I can't remember her name, um, came in and, and actually like bought like a controlling interest or took over the company in some way. Is it, uh, Ida Orsi? Yes. So, um, well, she may have been related to the family also. In any case, she, she takes over and they make a lot of switches and, and things around. Like they, they move a lot of things around in the company. They try to reorganize to be a little, you know, which basically means downsizing. But weirdly, they also grew this motorcycle division, which was a legally distinct company from Maserati. Well, this, the is cars. Very, this is very common post-war to like, oh, we made cars before. Well, the economy is in shambles and we can't afford to make cars anymore. Let's make motorcycles. Well, let's right. make scooters. So they're like, let's ramp down the cars a little bit. Let's ramp up motorcycles. But they should have been making luxury motorcycles. And they weren't. So... These So they start with, basically, they just bought another motorcycle company that was called Italmoto, which had existed for one year. This company, Italmoto, basically was in business for a production for a year, making a competent but not extravagant bike with... Um, with uh, they were setting up a dealer network... And, um, yeah, Orsi, Ida Orsi just basically comes in and goes, Ooh, why don't we use our existing distribution network by yours as well? So, you know, we'll sell these alongside cars and we'll, you know, use your existing thing and we'll start making these bikes. So they were just selling the Italmoto 160 in the, in the beginning. But the Italmoto wasn't exactly a fully realized motorcycle either. So very quickly, they move this Maserati moves into making motorcycles that go anywhere from 50 cc's. And uh, so in two strokes, they did. Uh, well, they did two strokes and four strokes. 
And like the largest was like a 160, I think, two stroke. But there was also, there may have been like a, there may have been a, a 164 stroke. There was 125s, there were 50s, but these were all kind of in two stroke and four stroke flavors. So they weren't, they never, you know, a lot of motorcycle brands really settle on a, a kind of, um, uh, you know, an engine layout that they like. You know, Harley's got their V twins. Moto Guzzi is the transverse V twins. Honda is the four stroke company, right? Uh, you know, uh, KTM is still stubbornly two stroke as much as they can be, you know, for their off road bikes. But the, you know, they've got a V twin sort of direction for their road bikes. Uh, there's, you know, BMW is all about their flat twin boxers. The, the you know, mm. big, you know, it's hard to be a motorcycle brand without a sort of signature motor layout. And so Maserati didn't really have that. I mean, they were all singles. But the displacements, the two-stroke and the four-stroke, but not to mention, they weren't Maserati motors. So, like, all the two-strokes were Della Ferrero or something, and I don't know exactly what the four-strokes were. I think the four-strokes were um, DKW, and the... The um, the frames were made by DKW as well, which some of you might re- know is a World War II era German car, German car manufacturer. Maserati wasn't even making the fucking frames. The brakes came from someone else. The suspension came from so Maserati was just buying parts and assembling weird motorcycles that all look a little bit incomplete. They look thrown together. It's just sort of like, will this cradle, like, can we mount things to this crate? Okay. I imagine they just got in a bunch of frames from DKW or whoever, and we're like, we'll just weld on the tabs where we need them. It must have been something like that. I A restoration of one of these bikes looks like it could happen in a long afternoon. These are not sophisticated machines. Stripping one of these down, repainting and putting back together. I, I, there are more complicated Tour de France uh, bicycles. These, they weren't low performance. I mean, they were buying, you know, these 125 two strokes and 164 strokes and whatever from decent engine builders. And these were a little bit more expensive, confusingly somehow, than other motorcycles in the 1950s. But keep in mind, like, Triumph's making a Speedmaster at this point, a twin 650 that just destroys this, right? The, uh, there's, I, we may be getting the very first Bonnevilles around the time that these are coming to an end, because... Swigs, let me ask you this question. How long do you think Maserati was making motorcycles? Uh, I'm going to guess. Is it going to be something silly like four years? Seven. Okay. It's like 1957 to like 1964, something like that. Like 
peak years. It was hard to fail as a motorcycle company in Europe at this time. Now, we are, they did get a lot of pressure from micro cars, bubble cars, mini cars, things like that. More and more people were being able to afford very small cars. Like, this is like kind of like, you know, the Fiat 500, the original is just crushing at this moment. So there's a little bit of that going on. But this is a luxury company, right? And it's not like there was no such thing as, like, World War II war profiteers. Mm. This is just a company making a bad decision to expand in the wrong way with a particularly uninspired product. And then it... I. This is like... This this is sort of almost the equivalent of like being a micro machines collector and having to have like the Chinese bargain bin micro machines branded MP3 player. It's in a way, yes, because well, again, and so it's legacy fraud because it's it's Maserati. It has the Maserati badge on it. It's Maserati Motorcycles, but it's, like I said, a legally distinct company, and it involves Maserati-like manufacturing in almost no meaningful way. It's Mm. all just parts-been-assembled bullshit. They they don't make the frame. If you don't make the frame, and you don't make the motor, and you don't make the brakes, and you don't make the suspension, how much of this motorcycle are you making? Are you a tank manufacturer? that outsources everything out. like what what's going on and i you know there were this is not unique there were plenty of other motorcycle makes around this time but this one says fucking maserati on it this is a name that means something but it's not really a maserati so and i know what you're saying is like well pete like Maserati still like uses, uh, 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 you know, uh, Ferrari like platforms and, and motors and things. And like now they're even, you know, now they're even just basically just like much nicer Alfa Romeos in some cases, right? There's some like kind of bargain Maseratis out there now, but all of that really took off around this era. Early on, I think they were much more sophisticated coach builder, you know, type of company. This is, this is sort of a sign of things to come where it's just, you know, in a lot of cases, a Ferrari that was with a much nicer interior kind of situation, right? Like what is, what does the name mean? And worse (laughs) panel fit, right? It's so. It's kind of bullshit. In a way, it's kind of legacy fraud. It's like, oh, it's a Maserati. Well, really? Is it? Which part of it was built by Maserati or designed by Maserati? Uh, yeah. I mean, even if, even if you're looking at, even though, you know, modern Maserati outsources a ton of stuff, there's at least a common, like, stylistic through line. The whole thing is of a single vision. Like, but this is, yeah, this is a Frankenbike from the factory. So th- what we're looking at here is a picture, and I'll, uh, I'm not going to put up a picture of this one because this is one of the better ones. This is kind of the flagship. This oh, really? is the 164 stroke. If you look up, say, like the Tipo uh, 125 two stroke, 
which is I think the, the the first one they made and the one they say, sold the most of. But then there's a 50cc one, 50cc two stroke that they sold in all these different frame versions. So there's the 50cc like Umino, then there's the the 50cc the, the T2S and the T2SS. So there you go. That's the that's just the 50 Umino. So it's a moped. It's a 50cc. It's got pedals on it. Um, but it's got like a, a, a double cradle. It's a fit. This is wild. It's a 50cc two stroke moped has pedals in a double down tube cradle with a traditional motorcycle tank on it. It's wild. Um, but then they made one also that kind of is a, is a, total ripoff of a um mobilette and it's the it's the it's the 50 t2 donna and it's the ladies version it's crazy oh check out that one the 52 ss the super sport now this looks a little bit better but it's still a moped like race bike somehow i don't know but again, how long would it take you to rip this apart and rebuild it? Uh, I have no idea. But this it, is a Maserati. It doesn't even have hydraulic forks. They're just spring forks. That's true. It, um, <laughs> I'd probably spend most of the time figuring out how the disaster of a transmission through the pedals worked. But that'd be the biggest thing, yeah. This is... Wow, yeah, this, uh... And these were, like... There's no... Yeah, there's no... There aren't any... There aren't really a lot of questions just looking at this bike, like, what am I going to have to deal with? Like, this is... I mean, it looks like it'd be quite nice to go around on in that it has, um, like, bicycle tires, a frame that looks like bicycle weight. It's a bicycle with a 50cc motor hanging down the front, but it's mounted way more elegantly than you would normally see. I, I don't know how much I would enjoy pedaling with clip-ons. Well, yeah, the handlebars <laughs> are an issue. But if you got some more de- if you got some better handlebars on it, I I bet you can pedal this and it's meaningful. Like it's not it, of all the mopeds I've ever seen, this looks like one you actually could pedal and it wouldn't be horrible. Mm. I I mean, this is kind of the original e-bike. Like as as people use an e bike, you could use this. Well, that's probably closer to something. Well, no, there were actual like factory kits. Like, um, well, Suzuki really started with the with the Power Free. Yeah, but I mean, look at this oh, yeah. the the one two five two stroke. This is four point eight horsepower. Like, this is barely gonna get to thirty miles an hour. You'd be surprised. Well, the the CL70, I think, is like 7. Um, yeah, and it does like 40. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, th- this is 0.1 horsepower claimed less than the gyro. The, the important thing is that, yeah, the CL70 doesn't have the Maserati badge on it. Exactly. So these are hot garbage. These are too expensive for something that's not that special because you can get all of these motors and all of these frames and all of this styling and all of this everything 
in just something else. There's nothing unique. There's nothing inspired. There's nothing super cool about any of this. I wonder if there's enough collector's parts still around that you could build a Maserati that was completely unbranded as a Maserati. It was just Mm -hmm. all of the parts bin parts that you assembled yourself. Yeah, I mean... And again, like, why, uh, the UK was crushing at this time. I mean, a Bullet 500, it, it, you have to put it in context, like a Bullet 500, oh, well, it's only like 20 horsepower. Well, I mean, the, the, the 160 here is like a blistering seven and a half horsepower, right? You know, like the Japanese only like six years after this, managed to get that that horsepower with half the displacement yeah we're not yeah in like six years you're not far off the the hustler you're breaking 100 miles an hour yeah it's really ridiculous so these were particularly not good particularly not good i you know uh I, compared to other Italian motorcycles, they were okay. But the, the, it kind of seems that the, like the Italian motorcycle industry around this time was a little sluggish, a little behind. And, you know, I mean, this is why the scooters were so good. You're getting Vespas that are, you know, at minimum seven horsepower up to like, you know, 10, 11 in cases around this time. And they've got way better technology. They're, they're more reliable. They're more comfortable. They're more practical. They're very cheap. No wonder Vespa and Lambretta were just fucking crushing when they're up against Maserati putting out this uninspired garbage. I, yeah. So anyway, I, I would never own one of these. I just, I'm completely uninterested. I would, I would, there's so many other things I'd rather, well, I do have something like of this era that's Italian that I would want to own. It's my 125 Lambretta. I, it's, it's so much better than this, right? My Lambretta in it's like with its leaky carb that, that continuously floods now after like, 25 minutes of riding and then i have to unscrew the uh unscrew it and let all the fuel leak out and then go again right that that's better than one of these new in in terms of power (laughs) in terms of reliability ease of use style it's it's superior still in every way i i would rather have it than a maserati 160 t4 any day um oh also i said everything on this in this company was done by like 63 or 64 that's when the company was like dissolved i think production stopped in 1960 so they were really only actually building these things for like three or four years uh again in, in an era where it was hard to go out of business there were just companies everywhere right uh, look like at it this way. This is like cheap transportation at the time. This is similar to an e-bike company going out of business now. It's not hard. Just make something viable and people will buy it. I I see tons of people riding around like the Costco e-bikes, you know? 
Mm-hmm. It, people are trying to use one wheels as practical transportation. It's not hard. You just need to make something viable and your company will exist. But I I have to say like, maybe these were just unviable motorcycles in the fifties in Europe. That's saying something. Like, the Japanese weren't even really exporting in earnest at this point. Uh, like, no, I, I, Honda America is, like, 1956. Like, I think oh, yeah. Honda bought the camera shop in 1956 and set up shop. They were selling Honda 50s and 70s during this time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, it wasn't, like, it wasn't, like, the, the takeover. The, I think the Beach Boys had their Honda song, like... A, like the year before this company was dissolved. It wasn't hard. Like even Americans were bought who were, you know, Americans were like going down like, Hmm, should I get a Honda 50 or should I get like a Ford galaxy? Yeah. Right. You know, the, the, it's that was 64. Yeah. It's, it's, all, yeah. All yeah. Right. <sighs> I don't know. I I can't do there. I can't go there. I I can't I can't go. Oh, I guess they did make a 250. I forgot about the 250 at a blistering 12 and a half horsepower. <laughs> uh Uh yeah, the the 250 four stroke, the the Gran Turismo Luso. I refuse to believe that this 250 single is a luxury grand tour. I can't go there. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So that's 20 minutes and 20 minutes. Uh, let's see. What do we want to do next? Should we talk about why MotoGP is important next? Sure. Let's do it. All right. Let's just roll into it. Okay. So next weekend or the weekend after, in like two weeks, I think, maybe next weekend, MotoGP starts. I can't remember if it's the 24th is the first race. This is pretty useful information. We should it is. Probably get you it should right. Google this while I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, GP starts soon. Uh, yeah, first race is Portugal on the 26th of March. Oh, you're, yeah, 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 the 27th of March. That's right. So 26. So that's, uh, oh, that's two weeks from now. So yeah, uh, 26th of March, two weeks from now. Uh, whenever this episode drops, I'll probably drop it like two episodes in two days for this. But you should care. Some of you do care. And some of you are like, oh, this is an episode where they're talking about MotoGP. Snore, or I don't care. You should care. And I think there's two things. I think there are people that, there are people that don't care that should. And there's people that want to care but are intimidated on getting caught up to what's happening. It's hard to jump into a MotoGP race with no context, right? If you examine the game of American football, it is much more complicated, much harder to understand, way less interesting to watch, and more overtly corrupt than racing. But what does NFL have? After soccer, 
the most cultural context possibly of any sports. Right? You've mm -hmm. seen the players in commercials. You, even if you can't read what's happening, everyone around you will be giving you a play by play. Oh, this guy's playing with an injury. Oh, this guy's doing that. Oh, like, you know what every, every athlete's cultural stock is at. So at the very least, you're aware of what you're watching in terms of what's at stake. And again, even if you don't understand the plays and how it works, you can still sit there as part of a group and consume it. <laughs> you don't need to be an expert in football to watch football anymore. Right? Right. It's, it's, it's a cultural event as much as it's a sport in and of itself. And as a sport, I argue it's kind of garbage. It doesn't, it's, it starts and stops jaggedly. It's all designed around commercial breaks. It's, uh, it takes place at like the worst time of the year for a sport to take place. It's, uh, it's, there's games constantly interrupting major holidays. It's, it's it's horrible. It's it's a disaster. But because it is just the sport for the United States, then it gets a pass. If you're just if you just have enough cultural context, you can get away with being the worst sport in the world. And football does. For viewers, I'm sure to be an actual NFL athlete is very involved. There's a lot of training. I'm sure it gets just as technical and interesting as any other sport does. But as a spectator sport, it's horrible. I mean, it's it. It's horrible. So. Why do people not get into racing? There's very little cultural context here. It's hard to know who is who, what is what. And this is one of the reasons that we really try to talk a lot about MotoGP. So people have some idea of who these people are going into it. I'd like to think there's been a few of you, at least, who have heard us go on about various racers and their personality and tried to watch a race and go, oh, there's that guy. Okay. And then there's something to, to hang your hat on. There's something to connect with. Now, it's taken MotoGP fucking forever. But if you buy your video pass, it's like 160 bucks. It might be 180 or something. It's, it's under 200. And that's for like, uh, like nine months of content constant content there's uh, didn't you say it's like like less than a dollar or like per um session it might be slightly you, more now just with um just with the price going up but yeah if you if you watch like every free practice every um qualifying session every race um you're you're pretty close to a dollar per hour of content Right. But what they have done, I will give them credit. They have finally started creating content, video content that's not just the races. If you not just watch like the practices, qualifying and races, but if you start watching everything else they put up, I mean, you can't watch it all anymore. 
like it, you can get down to it's almost free for how much you're watching it. You can just watch it all day, every day now because there's videos about the rules. There's videos about new rules that they're making. Every writer seemingly gets like a two to three video, like, you know, 45 minute video series on just their backstory. There are now companion video series following the championship and the personal stories of like the top four mm-hmm. riders. And they frequently do like tech videos as well on like mm-hmm. the Moto Two bikes and the Moto yep. Three bikes as well. So you're not lost in the dark anymore. You can sit there and watch it and really learn about the sport. That there'll be recommendations on classic races. There will be. Uh, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff to help you get caught up. And the best thing that they did, some people have ha- are a split on this. So there's a video series called There Can Be Only One. Uh, so it's last year. It's four episodes. It's about two hours altogether. And it's a catch up on the, the championship series. You know, the, the, sorry, the, 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 the title contenders over last year's um last year's uh season and people are like well this should be a full-on like formula one drive to survive kind of series well you shouldn't ask people to watch an entire season of television just to get caught up on your race series so I appreciate that it's split into like four half hour episodes. There's a lot of drama that they gloss over, but if you just want to sit down for a couple evenings and watch something to get you caught up for this year, buy the video pass now and just very slowly work through that, that four episodes of there can be only one, maybe a couple tech videos or something. And you're off and going. You've got everything that you really need to understand how the points work, what the drama is, what's kind of at stake, how, 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 how meaningful a win is in the context of the whole season. It really puts the stakes in focus. Uh, uh, yeah, I, you know, they, they used to put out little like hour and 20 minute mini documentaries. Like there was faster, fastest, hitting the apex, all these. And those were good too. But it's nice for it to be kind of episodic to go like, okay, here's our characters. Oh, we're going to catch up with them here and there. Um, it's nice also to see uh, more off track action than those documentaries had. To see them kind of traveling, to see the, like there's a, a part towards the end of last season where they get, um, uh, 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 uh girlfriend to fly in. Cause like there's a couple really important races coming in and, and like it's like a team priority to get her there because that's just going to stabilize sort of his focus and his moods and his everything. And it's like, it's like a team initiative to fly her there. And there's like all this crazy, like legal red tape with flying her to like Malaysia or something. And like they had to like call her work and be like, no, you don't understand. We need her 
like you need to give her like a week off of work, like whatever that takes. We, you know, and it's interesting to see these things behind the scenes. So it's worth it. It's absolutely worth, even if you are a GP fan, it's worth seeing it. It's, um, I think episode one or two ends with the, like Marquez had injured himself badly enough. He was taken out and they ask him, they're like, now who do you think is the, the, who do you think is going to take the season? And he just kind of sits there and he thinks and he goes, Oh, what happens if I say Alicia Spargro, you know, and then it just <laughs> ends. Right. It's, 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 it's really good. Uh, so, but, but so, so the argument of, of I can't watch it because I don't know what's happening isn't true anymore. If you just take the plunge, Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I also recommend just taking the plunge and buying some tickets to go see MotoGP. Cause once you go see it, once you go to the race, there's no way to not know what's happening. As you walk around all day, people just talking about like, Oh, this person just put in this lap time. This person put in this lap time. Uh, not to mention there's more races this year, even though there's fewer tracks. Cause we've got the sprint races this year. Uh, Swigs, are you up to date on the rules for the sprint races? Uh, actually, I'm not. Ooh, it's interesting. So instead of FP4, well, I can't remember if it's FP3 or FP4. There might be one more practice after. I think FP4 still happens on Sunday. But on Saturday, instead of FP3, so r- so right after qualifying is done, there is a half distance race instead of it is for championship points, but it is not for the weekend trophy. If you win the sprint race, it doesn't matter. It's just points. And I think it's like half as many points as you normally get. Also, it's like half points and half distance. But the idea is that they sell more Saturday tickets. It's just more content for fans. So there's more of a reason to go on Saturday. There's something to see on Saturday that is points worthy for, you know, for the whole season. It's going to be a really interesting dynamic of. Do you go hard for it? If somebody else isn't really pushing that hard for it to win that race, do you take more risks because it's only half points? Um, well, so it that works if you crash, for world Superbike, remember? Yeah. But then also, is your second bike really set up correctly? And mm-hmm. if you crash and completely fuck your bike up, are you going to have it ready for the race tomorrow? Well, they've got overnight. The crew has overnight to work for, work on it. I mean, they've got they can rebuild a bike for the next day. They, they travel with parts to build another like four bikes. That's true. That yeah. Well, if you hurt yourself, you feel like an idiot if you hurt yourself doing something stupid in a sprint race i did not look up if the end if the rules changed for having more motors because of this but we must have well it's still the same amount of distance traveled on each engine it's because they're 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 taking out a session that would have been practice and making it like a 10 lap race that's true but you do run the motor quite a bit harder during a race i don't know 
they're running them pretty hard for all these practices. They're trying to get hot laps. They're trying well, to see. Well, when they're doing hot laps and stuff, but yeah, you know, they also pull out of laps a lot of the times. That's true. They, they coast a lot. I don't. That'd be interesting. They're frequently going faster in practice than they are during the race because they know they're only out there for seven laps at a time and they just blast it for seven laps. Well, honestly, it'll be kind of fun if somebody runs out of engines. It will be, yeah. Well, and then, uh, but if it's a half distance race, then that's a race where everyone's starting with half as much fuel. They don't have to conserve tires. It's a different dynamic. It's a different kind of race. Mm. So there may be – so think about all those people that are, like, super hot for the first half of races, like Vinales used to be, and then he would fade, or Espargo. They may be cleaning up a lot of first Do places. Do you get an extra set of tires? Uh, I don't know about the tire situation. I would imagine that they get a fresh set for a sprint race. Hmm. So now every bike just has to ha- – just – so every bike without fail has to be good on soft tires now. Well, I guess they don't because they're, it's half distance. They can shred the soft tires. Right. Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting. So anyway, uh, yeah. So there's, there's like twice as many GP races now, which is cool. There's still all the Moto 2 and Moto 3 content. But here's the other thing. Swigs, do you... I've got a couple bullet points, but what what springs to mind when you talk to people about why they should care about MotoGP? Uh, well, for one thing, it's just fucking cool. You should be watching it because it's just incredible to watch. I mean, if you were to compare it to something like Formula One, which at this point is kind of just skating by on the established culture. Yeah. And it's racing NFL and soccer. Yeah. It's only popular yeah. because it's already popular. And objectively, it's just not. I mean, it's, it's it is a spectacle because they're F1 cars. And the F1 cars are amazing. But objectively, as in terms of racing, it's not a great sport. But MotoGP is a great sport. And it is an amazing spectacle to watch. So you should watch it for that. Um, but also, you know, if you ride motorcycles, it's a great way to kind of see the character of what do each of these brands do when the gloves are off and they can just pour stupid amounts of money into a motorcycle. That's what I was going to get to. You you understand that these teams have a sort of ph- a guiding philosophy and a a character and a personality all their own that I mean, we all know that BMW has a bit of a different characteristic than KTM or Ducati or Honda or whoever Kawasaki. But when you get into world Superbike and, and MotoGP, this stuff becomes really obvious. Like how cutthroat can these companies be? But also, you know, like, uh, you know, who's it's, willing to bend the rules more, but also who's also just willing to push it, which, which bikes will blow up because th- this manufacturer is just like, well, yeah, we, we will just run the shit out of this. Also, how do they treat their riders? What kind of riders and personalities do they hire to represent them? Uh, you really understand 
the business of motorcycles more knowing who these race teams are. Mm. And even just in like from race to race, just seeing like, just seeing like, how does, how do say like Yamaha compared to Ducati balance their like per, the, the performance of the bike where Ducati just says more downforce, more horsepower as much as we can get. Yeah, let's get the youngest riders that can just hang on. Yeah. yeah just muscle that thing around. Yeah. And then, and then the Yamahas are a bit more balanced and they want to be more nimble. They want to carry more key, more speed through the corners. And especially when you get those two kinds of bikes, you know, neck and neck, and you see the Ducatis pulling away on the straightaways, and then you see the Yamahas reeling it back in on the corners. It's Yeah, and then Honda, who just refuses to compromise. Honda just decides we're just going to make the bike that does everything the best. And sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't, but Honda will not compromise. They're like, no, we will have the best of all worlds. We will throw all the money we can into this. (laughs) And I mean, on paper they do, but in in the real world, it just doesn't pan out that way. A lot of the times. Well, they solidly did for a good six or seven years. And now we're on a bit of a downswing. (laughs) More than six or seven years. Look at their winning years with Rossi and all that. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. they, Honda's been on, was on top for like, 25 years really they never went more than a couple three years without some sort of championship for a long time it was broken up by rossi and lorenzo yeah but i but yeah yeah uh yeah it works until it doesn't it works until it doesn't exactly and it's it's been bad news bears for a few years now um so if you're a social media person uh, because there's so many personalities in this, like in the NFL, there's, there's too many Instagrams to follow, right? But there's just the right number. I, I don't follow any of them, but there's just the right number of racers and, and teams and stuff that you can re- reasonably follow a lot of it on social media too. So if you want to get the extra stories and the inside scoops and, if you want to know uh, what cheeseburgers everyone's eating, then it's very accessible that way. Racing was kind of made for social media in that aspect. I mean, a lot of these posts are empty, just like, hey, it's race day, wish me luck. But sometimes there is gold, like Ianone posting workout videos of himself because he was just so... Oh, Ianone might be back, not next year, but the year after. Uh, weird news story that I heard. Ianone's ban is over, and I think he's in talks with, um, he's been in talk, he was, he's been in talks with somebody that's like thinking of putting a team together. And they're like, well, we know we can get this guy cheap. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, it's magic. I, I'd love to see Ianone on LCR Honda. Just be like, how well behaved can we try to make this guy? Um, so yeah, there, there is, uh, uh, another reason to care about MotoGP is you can often see a lot of the, the trends coming down the road. 
right? Like I said, you'll understand motorcycling better, right? And, and and sometimes this is very surface level stuff, like oh, there's winglets on the GP bikes. Now you get winglets on your bike. And I know a lot of people were super in- excited about winglets on road bikes at first, and now it's really cool to be like, winglets are fucking stupid. Shut up! It's fun to have race shit on your bike. It's fun. Yeah. You don't see like motorcycle journalists going around going like, oh, lap timers on an R1 is standard is stupid. Who needs a fucking lap timer, right? It's, that's just the, that's just the software version of a winglet, right? It's just fun to fucking have it. Mm-hmm. Fuck off. I, There's also things like, uh, like launch control and having an IMU on your bike. Right. But it's also things like you, you look at, uh, uh, KTM, you know, has, has launched a gas gas MotoGP team for this year. And it's like, ooh, are we going to start seeing possibly gas gas versions of KTM street bikes coming down the pipeline? Like I did, I'd never considered that. Right. But maybe instead of just making enduro two strokes and shit, we might see something that says gas gas on the side of it and KTM dealerships here. And it might be a road bike. Like, is there going to be a budget 1290 adventure, you know, or will they put out a gas gas with the 1190 adventure motor? And it's, it's like stripped down of a lot of the, the, the creature features and it's, and it's a lot more affordable. Like, Hey, I never considered that, but if KTM is willing to fund a gas gas team, uh, what are they doing with this brand? Uh, th- I yeah. mean, the, are that many people just buying enduro bikes in Europe that it's worth having it? Or are they planning to launch something new, right? I, this is another insight to, to the industry because we follow racing that we're sort of clued into. And I mean, there's real money being spent here. So it's not for nothing that they're just taking a whole team and putting gas gas on it. Uh, right. It's not that much more visibility than just having some KTM bikes. Uh, well, there's already like three KTM teams. So they could have just taken, you know, the, well, Red Bull's going to want to be KTM, but they could have taken an, the other KTM team and put gas gas on there you know, and kept it at four bikes, but now they got six bikes on the freaking track. Uh, I don't know. That's an interesting angle, right? Um, you know, every time you hear rumor like, oh, is BMW going to make a team? Is Kawasaki going to get back into it? Well, why would Kawasaki get back into it unless they're going to double down on like the R6 and the ZX-10R? R6, sorry, the, the ZX-6R. You know, are they going to, is there a mm-hmm. redesign coming down? It, you're more clued in to 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 the business when you're in and also if you're watching GP you know these companies throw money into it because it's advertising so in a way by just simply by watching it and watching the advertisements you're kind of sponsoring motorcycle development not kind of you are you're you're supporting the industry literally you're supporting them testing uh new stuff to put into road bikes by watching it by supporting it you are i mean 
there's a lot of other people getting rich along the way, but a portion of the, of your entertainment dollars, instead of just making Disney richer, right, will will go towards some race teams and and some racing. I, I personally feel good about that. I don't need to. I don't need to see another Star Wars movie like ever again. I don't need to give Disney or Marvel or anyone any more money. I'd rather that my entertainment dollars go towards racing. <laughs> That's just me. And well, also, you know, as far as racing goes too, you also get all the, the Moto E. Let's not forget. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, and this year we're going from the, uh, Ener- the Energica over to the Ducatis. Exactly. So I don't, maybe it'll be interesting. I'm super skeptical. But I don't know, maybe. I I don't know. Maybe maybe they've cracked the formula and everyone will be super into electric sport bikes. Or well, who knows? I, I'm a little skeptical of that occurring. But you know, it's it's another year it's another couple of years of development of electric motorcycles. And we get to see where it goes. We get to see what Ducati's take on electric is. Yeah. I I mean, I think it's going to be Energica, but seven miles per hour faster is what I think it's going to yeah. be. Uh, I think it'll be re- I, what'll be really funny is if they do it and then just alongside it all, they somehow fit in an advertisement for a scooter. That would be magical. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or an e-bike. Yeah. Ducati might just start selling. Because like, I think Yamaha was selling e-bikes for a while, weren't they? Or no, they, they I think sold, they still are. Well, they sell street bikes. Well, Yamaha just has a bicycle company as well. Yeah. So they're definitely making e-bikes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know what. Um. I mean, I, what what else can we say about why you should care about MotoGP? It's um. I mean, we've we've talked about supporting the industry. We've talked about your money going to a better place. We've talked about understanding the motorcycle culture as a whole and the business of motorcycles also better by being a fan than you would be by not being a fan. Uh, we've talked about the, the racers personalities are just out of this world. The, like, you think that NBA and NFL athletes live on a different planet. These guys live in a different fucking solar system. These, these guys are just out of their minds insane in the most delightful way. <laughs> They're all this like super wealthy male models who are putting their bodies on the line. They're, they're sort of like, like, like they're if like there was some sort of gladiatorial, like royal class of gladiators, they're like a combination of like. Well, I guess that would be knights, but yeah, I would say they're like a. Um, they're like a combination of like celebrity sports athletes, like like sports at athlete celebrity and child movie star at the same time. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. there's a child star <laughs> aspect to it. You're right because all these guys, like from the age of like four and five have just been riding nonstop. They've been pulled out of school. Yeah, they've to, all been homeschooled at like the to, track. Yeah. yeah, to go to races and things. So, like, none of them have a normal education. Like, yeah. They they don't know what it's like to live like a normal human being. 
They're constantly on planes all the time. Yeah. yeah they only fly first class. It's great. Uh, uh, it's it's wonderful. Uh, they, um, yeah, they, they make comments about... I mean, the only one that's sort of grounded is Jack Miller. Yeah. I, I, but, uh, yeah, they, they all live on the moon. It's fantastic. Uh, well, at least, I don't know, if Jack Miller is grounded, like, I mean, he's he's living on the moon now, but maybe at one point he didn't. I'm not sure. It's it's confusing. Um, Yeah, I don't I don't want to like go over like too many points, but it there's plenty of reason to love it besides watching bikes going around the track. But once you understand what to look for. It's so much more engaging than soccer or NFL. And holy fuck, it's a lot more interesting than golf. It, it, at first, you're just watching bikes go around and you're just, you kind of notice when people overtake and you notice when people crash. But it doesn't take long. By the end of the season, you can watch a bike and you can tell when they're keeping more corner speed or when they're scrubbing it off you can tell when they're setting up for a pass you can tell uh all kinds of very subtle things that are hard to see at first but once you start seeing it you realize that there's all, there's more happening than you can actually even pay attention to. Even though at first it seems so simple. Oh, we got a line of bikes going around and their order changes. It's so much more than that. So I, I recommend it. I, I, I cannot recommend it enough. It's about to start and join us on this journey through this next season because you will not regret it. Let's see. We were going to do another segment, but it's an hour and 15, and we're essentially doing a double dump with episodes here. Should we just call this quits at a little bit of a shorter one? Uh, Yeah, let's let's do a little bit of a shorter one, and we'll... Well, we're also on a time crunch, so... Yeah, a little bit. All right. So, this has been episode 203, and... A little bit of a teaser. We are planning an episode at the end of this month with Bruce Phillip from This Motorcycle Life. I know a bunch of you love that show, and we're going to do a little bit of a collaboration. And um, yeah, beyond that, buy your MotoGP tickets, buy your buy your MotoGP video pass, and you know, stay safe, stay tuned, and keep fighting or fucking the dragon. And with that, we're going to go out. You ready, Swigs? Let's do it. And I don't want to die. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Mm -hmm, Cold. 